Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. I can just call on his name, and heaven will snap into attention, and Jesus will come to where we are. Can somebody say praise the Lord? What a joy it is to be in the house of God again today. It's so good to see each and every one in the sanctuary. And what a special joy it is to see Sister Boyd in the house of the Lord with us. It's a prayer that has been answered. Somebody ought to give God just a little praise for what he's done. He's a prayer-answering God. Oh, hallelujah. So good to see Brother Bird in the house of the Lord with us today as well. So grateful. So appreciative. If you have your Bibles, we're going to open and read from the book of St. John, the 8th chapter. We're going to begin at the first verse, and we're going to read down to verse number 11. St. John chapter 8, verse number 1. We're going to read down to verse number 11. I want to say how much I appreciate my lovely wife and son and their commitment to the kingdom of God. Not not all the time can you find somebody willing to travel and to sacrifice and to give up. Whatever's asked, all for the service of the Lord. And I appreciate my family so very much. St. John chapter 8, verse number 1. The scripture tells us this. Jesus went into the Mount of Olives. And early in the morning he came again into the temple. And all the people came unto him. And he sat down and taught them. The scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. When they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what sayest thou? And this they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And they which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was what was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Here at the beginning of this chapter, 
we see a story being told. But by the end of the 11th verse, there's a much different ending than what we thought at the beginning. And I want to preach to us today on this subject, how will your story end? How will your story end? Can we lift our hands high to heaven? Let's pray. Let's let's call on the Lord together. Father, in the name of Jesus, we are thankful, God, for each and every life that is here. Everyone that has gathered in your sacred sanctuary. God, we are asking now for you to anoint your word. God, let it prick the hearts of the people. Let it minister and speak clearly and concisely. God, we give you all glory, give you all honor and all praise. And we pray in Jesus' mighty, matchless name. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing with me. But we're reading here in this 8th chapter of the book of John. and We find a very unique situation that is being presented to Jesus. As this chapter opens, we find that there is a service already in progress. The people had gathered together. Jesus was standing, teaching, and preaching. And while he was yet speaking and ministering to the people, we find that the doors open up in the back, and the religious rulers come in, and they have a woman with them. And there, while everybody is listening to the sermon, they take this woman and they throw her at the feet of Jesus. And they began to say that uh, we have taken her in the act of sin, even in the act of adultery. Now, we don't know much about this woman that is brought into the tabernacle. There is not a lot of background history about her life. However, we do know a little bit about her accusers. Uh, These were men of renown. They were leaders in the religious community. And I would say that even by their actions, it tells us a little bit about them. Anybody that can come in and disrupt a service and take the attention away from the speaker, it shows a little bit of their integrity right offhand. They just have the audacity to come in and take over a service. But we find the chapter previous, John 7, that this was not their first encounter with the Lord. Matter of fact, there was animosity to say the very least. They were in constant opposition to everything that Jesus did. They were always looking for ways to discredit his miracles or to belittle what he would do for others. And it got so intense, it got so heated, Uh, they didn't know how to react or respond, so they did something uh, out of the ordinary. They went to these soldiers and they hired them to go and arrest Jesus. And So if you could try to imagine, uh, they hire what we would call as modern day mercenaries. And they were to go and find out where Jesus was, arrest him, and then bring him back to where they were. So these soldiers, not knowing all the 
ins and outs of why they are doing what they are doing. They just have a job given to them, and they're going to do what they need to do. So they go out on this journey trying to find out where Jesus is, where he could be at, where he could be ministering. And they finally reached that place where Jesus was at. And they noticed that a crowd has already gathered around. And multitudes and multitudes of people are present. And they surrounded Jesus and they are listening intently on the words that he is saying. And so they stand back and they take in this situation. And they say to themselves that we don't need to run into the middle of a crowd and try to arrest a man that's speaking. If we do that, there'll be a riot on our hands and it'll get out of control. But let's just stay off in the back. Let's just let him finish his message. And when he concludes his sermon, that's when we'll make our move. And they said, we're just going to stand and let him preach. And I'm going to tell you, you may think you know what you're doing, but when you stand around for the preaching of the word of God, you can come in with ulterior motives, but the preached word of God, it can change your mind. It can change your thinking. It can change your thoughts and even change your actions. They thought they were just going to hang hang out in the background. But little did they know when Jesus got up to preach, something was going to change in the atmosphere. When they got there, Jesus was in the middle of his message. And in John 7 and 37, we find what he was preaching. He said, if any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, that they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus was preaching about something that was getting ready to happen. Jesus was preaching about the Holy Ghost that was to come. I can almost hear it in my ears as Jesus gets up to preach and says, there is something that is coming your way. There's something that you can't buy with money and you can't purchase with silver or gold. There's something that the world cannot give and the world cannot take away. There's a feeling that no drug can offer. There's a moment that you can possess that you can't get from a bottle or from a pill or from a drink. But all the Holy Ghost is coming. And when the Holy Ghost comes... It's going to be like a river of living water. I'm grateful to know that I've tasted of that living water, and it never runs dry. It's the living water that can change your life. It can alter your destiny. It can brighten your future. The living water can take you from a path that's headed to destruction and put you on a path toward peace. It's the living water. That living water. John chapter 4 tells us there was a woman that came to the well, and Jesus was standing there. And Jesus asked if she could draw a little water for him to drink. And she kind of looked at him strange, looked at him a little odd. 
And just like when you find a woman you don't know and you tell them, woman, give me something to drink. You already know the look that's coming your way. I can see the glasses tipped down at the bottom of her nose. She starts thinking, the hot rod, I don't even know who you are. And you going to ask me for something to drink? And Jesus looked to her and said, but if you knew who it was that was asking, you would have asked me for something to drink. John 4 and 14, he said, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him like a living water, living well. He's talking about something that's not normal, something that you can't find in the world, something that you just can't get on the side of the street or in the corner store. He said, If you would have known who it was that was offering you something to drink, she said, well, that sounds pretty good. Why don't you give me that water to drink? Jesus said, okay, just go and call your husband, and I'll give you this water to drink. She said, see, I knew you were a phony. You're probably one of them TV preachers. You calling stuff out. You don't even know what's going on because I'm not even married. Jesus said, well, that is true. But you've been married five times before, and you're living with a man right now that's not your husband. See, we can fool everybody else, but Jesus knows everything that's going on. He may not say it. He may not tell it, but he knows every mistake I've made, every error and judgment, anything I've done that's been wrong or out of place. And this woman, when she heard, that Jesus knew who she was and knew her mistakes and knew her troubles and knew her struggles. She just started to prepare herself. Okay, go on. Tell me how bad of a person I am. Tell me how much I've ruined my life. I'm ready. Go ahead and send that condemnation. And it never came. See, just because Jesus knows our past... Just because he knows the skeletons hanging in our closet doesn't mean he throws us away. Doesn't mean he discounts our life. Doesn't mean he doesn't see value in us. Jesus started talking about something else. And when she realized what, she, what he was talking about, she paused him. And she said, you know, I've heard that one day there's going to be a Messiah that comes. One day there's going to be a Savior that will descend from the portals of heaven. There'll be one that will come down from the corridors of glory. And he's going to give us this beautiful salvation. Jesus looked to her and said, I that speak unto thee am he. And in a moment, the Bible says she left her water pot behind. And she went and started telling everybody she came in contact with, you've got to come and see a man. He'll tell you your past, and then he'll tell you your future. He'll tell you what's going on in the present, and then he'll show you something that you can't find anywhere else. I can hear saying he told me there's going to be true worshipers and true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. She left the whole reason she came behind. She came to draw water, but when she came in contact with Jesus, 
she left her water pot behind because something had changed in her world. When these religious rulers brought this woman to Jesus, they came in with accusations. They came in expecting Jesus to condemn. They began to raise their voices and said, Now, Jesus, I know that you're a man of the word. You study the law. You know what Moses wrote. We know that if a woman is in the act of adultery, then we've got to take her life and we've got to do it right now. But the Bible tells us in John chapter 8 and verse number 6 that they said that tempting him because they wanted to get him in a position that he could not win. And that is what the enemy tries to do to us. He tries to get us in a place that no matter if we go left or if we go right, they got us where they want us. Consider with me that if Jesus would have said, that's what the law says, so we need to stone her. They would have ran out of there and went to Caesar and said, there's somebody standing in the temple that's trying to take authority from you that's putting it in his own hand. But if Jesus would have said, no, let's not stone her, then they would have said, oh, he doesn't obey the word. He doesn't believe the law. He doesn't believe what the scriptures say. So no matter what he says, Regardless of his response, he's in the wrong. Huh? So Jesus stands there for a moment, and he does something so out of the ordinary. He reaches down and begins to write on the ground. Write on the ground. Now, so many times I've read this, and I don't know if it's just my own ideology or maybe my own way of looking at the story. But so many times I've, I see Jesus and he writes in the sand. But he doesn't write in the sand because the Bible says he's in the temple. Huh? He's in the tabernacle. So how can he write in the sand if he's in the sanctuary? But he writes on the ground. Now, we don't know what he says, but he's able to write a message in the dirt that's in the sanctuary. So now, these religious leaders that came in with accusations, they came in ready to discredit this woman, to try to annihilate her, to decimate her, to consume her because of all her mistakes. Jesus stoops down and writes in the dirt that should have never been in the tabernacle. So in other words, regardless of what he said, he's telling those religious leaders that my focus is not on the woman that made the mistake, but it's on you that allowed sin to come in here. So instead of taking action on the woman, he takes action on the leaders and says, see, the problem is not just this woman and her actions and the mistake that she made, but you are doing things that you shouldn't be doing. And the reason why you are bringing her 
is not for mercy and not for justice and not that she can find grace, but you want to bring judgment when there really should be mercy. Jesus is looking at them and says, if there's anybody that really should pass judgment, it's on you. And the eldest realized what Jesus did. And they began to walk out of the sanctuary because they knew that if we start throwing stones at each other, come on somebody, if we start throwing stones at one another, there's going to be nobody left because none of us are perfect. None of us have lived a life without error. None of us have lived a life without a mistake. And they started walking out one by one until finally... The only people that were left was this woman and Jesus. Now try to picture what this woman is going through. She comes in and she's thrown in this crowd of people. No doubt her mind is frantic, racing 100 miles an hour. No doubt she is ashamed because everybody knows what she just did. They didn't just throw her in the ground and say what has happened, but they put all of her business out for everybody to know. So you could only try to fathom that her face is red. Uh, her cheeks are blushed. Uh, everybody knows what I've done. I, I'm ashamed, and I'm embarrassed, and I'm afraid. And then, now she is scared. Because they have just said, we need to kill this woman now. But this is not the first time Jesus came in contact with this scenario. In Luke chapter 9, the Bible tells us that Jesus and his disciples were coming upon a man that was rejecting the teaching and the preaching of Christ. And when the disciples saw it, they got so angry. They got beside themselves. They said, Jesus, you know what you need to do to this man? You need to open up the windows of heaven, send out fire, and burn that joker up. And you know how Jesus responded in Luke 9 56? He said, the Son of Man has not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn the world. I've come to save the world. I didn't come to push people down. I've come to lift people up. I didn't come to cast people into hell. I've come to drag them and bring them back to a path on him. That woman thought she was going to be condemned. She thought she was going to receive judgment. But when she realized that all of her accusers were gone and it was Jesus standing there, he said, woman, where are thine accusers? What he was saying was, I'm not accusing you any longer, but I'm offering you mercy. I'm offering you grace. You got yourself in a situation, but I'm extending mercy to where you are. I don't know about you, but I'm so thankful that when I was engulfed in sin, when I was wreaking havoc in my own life, I can't speak for anybody else, but I know for me, I know where I should have been going. I know what the pronouncement should have been on my life. They should have said, guilty as charged. I should have been in that place called hell. I should have been surrounded. 
news article. It was in Minnesota. And it was in the winter of Minnesota. If you've ever visited Minnesota, you'll know that sometimes in summer it can get chilly. A few years ago, Ashley and I had a revival schedule just north of Minneapolis in August. And we thought, well, that's the time to go to Minnesota. We get there in August in a snowstorm in the middle of summer. And so, if it's snowing in August, you can only imagine what it's like in January. Blistering cold. Just so happened as one of those terrible storms that came through. The state of Minnesota issued a state of emergency. Everybody to stay off the roads, not to travel. If you're traveling, you're doing it at your own risk because they cannot promise you that there'll be somebody to rescue you. So there was an elderly couple that decided they had to leave. They ignored all of the warnings. They ignored all of the rhetoric that came from the news and from the government saying not to travel. But they went out on the interstate. And after a few miles on the interstate, they realized their mistake. They tried to turn around. But when they got off the exit to turn around, they got trapped in this bank that was unable to move, able, unable to get out of the car. So they were in that car, knowing they couldn't do anything about it. And as the moments began to pass, they realized that they weren't going to be able to keep the car running forever. So the husband reached into the back of the trunk, got a small candle out, and lit the candle, put it in the top of the dashboard. And all the while, every moment that passed, it got colder and colder and colder. The ice started to mount on the windows. Still no hope. Still no ambulance. Still no rescue had come. And the engine cut off because of no gas. Then they really started to feel the pressure. They started to feel that terrible cold that come from the storm. So as it got colder and colder in the car, they huddled up together, trying to keep each other warm. Finally, the wife said, Do you have anything to write with? And they, the husband got a little pen, a little piece of paper out of the glove compartment. And she wrote a little line. And when they found them, when they rescued them, they were able to get them just in the nick of time. Barely, uh, barely able to move, but there was a little note right beside the candle. And the note read just one line that says, I don't want my life to end like this. I don't want my life to end in me rejecting the warning to try to come. But the rescue department said the only reason they were still alive is because the husband lit that little candle, barely able to give light, but it was enough to keep the cold from taking their lives. Sometimes the only reason we're still living is there's a little candle, there's a little mercy, there's a little grace that keeps being extended to us. 
in judgment. Our lives don't have to end in death. Our lives don't have to end in condemnation.
He didn't look at him and say, why did you take your eyes off me? He didn't say, why did you get all bowed down by the storm? Why did you let the cares of life mess with your mind? No. When Peter said, Lord, save me, you know what Jesus did? He took his hand and he put it in the hand of Simon Peter. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806. Or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.